This is the Umerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. I think you should introduce this topic because you're so excited about it. Gasson. Gasson. Ooh, okay. I'll do it. Do it. Bring it. Like like underarm part. (laughs) If I could, I can't. I've never been able to do that. What? I do. Oh, that's it, it, girl. (laughs) And to introduce Gasson Bloating, my cohort, Amy Baker. My underarm. Miss Baker, (laughs) fart away. Wow. That's good. What are we talking about? (laughs) Gas and bloating. Gas and bloating. That's the perfect start. Oh my god! But I just—I wasn't. Cut uh, it out. I, I was on the trigger. I was on the trigger. I really was. <gasps> that would be perfect. Where's the? You have a fart machine? <laughs> All right. Well, no, no. The truth of the matter is, one of the number one things I will hear when I'm treating somebody is bloating. I'm bloating. I I have dinner and I, I feel, bloat, and I don't I know why. I have a gassy bloat. I got a bloaty yeah. gas. Um, <laughs> But it's actually an issue when they're wearing, wearing the little tight dress going out to whatever. It's a, I'm not wearing the little tight I was dress. Like, you Don't wear look at me that tight. way. I'm not wearing that thing. <laughs> you have to go I'm wearing baggy jeans. Like... <laughs> baggy jeans. Doesn't matter if I bloat or I guess because mm-hmm. I'm a man. So why is it that way? Ms. Baker, I would oh, like to know why is it okay for men to gas out and women, they hide in rooms. They're, when you can't find a woman, she's hiding somewhere just to expel. I don't know. I think because you we're don't talk- know. I think we're talking to be more than men. <laughs> I don't know. I fart in front of people, so I'm not. Do really you really? No, that's my girl. That's I, it. I, I that's why not. I like working with you. I try not. That's right. I got gassy Amy next. Silent to me. but deadly. That's right. Well, but we you, don't what, do it what, on what air. What do they call you in roller derby? Lay them out, Lydia. That's because when they're behind her, she lets cuts loose and lay she them lays out. them out. Nice. Yeah, it's just like all of a sudden, all three, boom, they're gone. We were talking about being Sir Farts a lot. But that's not it. But it is serious. It is actually Gas serious. Gas pains have sent many people to the hospital. Right. Can't move. It's severe. Well, just, and it's embarrassing on mm-hmm. top of that, right? Yeah. I mean. Hey, yeah. the worst part is that you got an x-ray of somebody's low back and you're looking at it. And they say, what's that? You said, well. You have enough gas to pretty much take care of Philadelphia. That's <laughs> that's the truth. In there. We can't see anything else you have so much, because nice. it's common. It's really common. I just want to know how many times people fart when you ingest them. I feel like that would be pretty common. I try to suggest bathroom rights first. <laughs> bathroom rights first. No, actually, nice. how many people have something to eat and immediately notice a bloat mm-hmm. and are uncomfortable with right. it and want to know why? Now, there's only one person I know is more about bloating and farting and <laughs> gassing. And that's Dr. Ryan Bentley. Dr. Bentley, <clears throat> gas and bloating. You have women in your life. You know it's serious. But why is it happening? Are happen? women in your is life it, serious is about it gas? Is it normal? Is gas and bloating normal? Is just gas normal? Is bloating normal? Or how many gases do we get away with and be normal? That's the first wow, question. That's a lot I made of that questions. up myself, and it's because the public needs to know. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the color of poop next? Because I really feel like that's, that's only if it's baby poop, and we have to measure it for certain amounts of bacteria. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so how do we bring the science to gas? Oh. Gas science. Well, when it comes... 
Now, I see you're a little uncomfortable with the topic. Of this well, he has to fart. And I'm not, oh, is that it? <laughs> well, like, I, I have three kids, and, and you say the word fart, and everybody giggles. So I'm trying yeah. to contain myself right now. Uh, it is a funny thing. Well, well they, g- they giggle because they learned it from you. Well, why is this so <laughs> right? funny? I mean, come on. It's a normal it biological a, action. Exactly. Well, there, there's many actions that come into play when it comes to the production of gas. There is a little bit of gas that is normal, and then there are people that you know that are awfully gassy, that uh, apparently seems to be abnormal. And then you've got the difference between odor versus no odor. So, <laughs> oh, let's go there. Ooh, that yeah, so there's really there, there's a vast array of things that go along with this that need to be considered. So why don't we just start with the combustible engine? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Essentially, yes. So let's start with the mouth. Okay? Oh, so as you chew your start food, from the top. Oh. yeah, we're going to start with okay. the top and, and just kind of identify the different issues that can create gas and bloating throughout the entire gastrointestinal system. So one is the lack of chewing food. So people sometimes when they chew their food, they chew very quickly and they swallow things whole that are not broken down and digested properly. Why? Because typically they're in a state of the rat race. They're constantly on the go. They're not taking time to digest. And we got two parts of our nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response for us to take off when we're under stress. If we're getting chased by a bear, we want to stay alive. And then we got the parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest phase. So when we're resting and relaxing, we're to digest our food properly. Um, So these people that are chewing their food very fast and not breaking it down properly through our first phase of digestion in our mouth and mixing with the saliva, which there are enzymes in there to start breaking down the food. Now it goes down in big chunks into our stomach and where the stomach acid is. However, yes. You know who else has like lives in the rat race of life? Who's that? Two-year-olds. Maybe that's why they, two-year-olds have lots of gas. You can't get them to sit. <laughs> Seriously, you can't get them to sit at the table. They don't chew their food. They would rather play. That's true. They would rather that be really in the true. playroom. Yeah. I mean, right? How easy is it to sit a two-year-old or a three-year-old at the table and say, could you please sit quietly and chew your food carefully so, so that you have less gas? So we got to send the two-year-old gas? out to biofeedback to get some relaxation. I, guess, I don't know. Anyway, stress. sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay. I we think were, they're stressed because their mother's stressed, I mean, we were talking in my opinion. In, I don't think so. Yeah, but it's yeah. mama cause. I just, we were talking in the adult context, and I was yeah. thinking from a kid context – I mean, I can't tell you how many times the kids have been running around the kitchen right. table <laughs> with food in their mouth. I mean, on right? And, you're talking, and you want them to sit, the but they just table, yeah. kind of don't, right? Anyway, well, sorry, go ahead. That's okay. So the, the stress response, it, it creates a situation that um, it shuts down the digestion. Not, not paralyzes, but it significantly slows down. You're not, it, your body is more in the stress mode, so it's not in the relaxation and digestion mode at this point. So you're going to have decreased stomach acid production. You're going to have decreased amounts of... Mm. Uh, peristalsis of, of the moving of food and the churning of the stomach, uh, which is why oftentimes people will say, oh, don't go swimming right after you eat or go, don't go exercise right after you eat because, again, now you're moving the, you're putting your body under stress and you're moving the blood flow from the stomach to your extremities for moving and running and things of that nature, which is where the side cramps start to come in because the food is sitting there. Well, if the food sits there, it starts to ferment, it starts to putrefy, and break down Yum. slightly in the at, stomach. Is in that the stomach, the bloat? and that's where the bloating can come in. That makes sense. That um, does make other sense. times is that people may be deficient in certain nutrients, uh, such as like zinc. Zinc is essential. Some of the B vitamins are essential for making stomach acid, so they may be deficient there, or they may have a certain condition where they 
don't make stomach acid properly and they have an autoimmune disease against the cells in their gut that make stomach acid. So now the food gets down there and it can't digest. So it starts to break down slowly, fermenting, creating an off gas. So that's just There's a couple. Bloat, yeah. bloat burping, things exactly. like that. Okay. Yep. Is that and the bloating same is acid common. reflux? I mean, or is that different? That's different. Different. Uh, can be related. Uh, some people have acid reflux where they actually produce too much stomach acid, but it's very rare. It's most times so a lot more people bloat than have acid reflux, probably. I'm not sure on that. We'd have to get our We're fact checker. We're going to do a fact checker. Yeah, so I, I don't want to make an, an assumption there. But so when food moves from the stomach, when it does, it goes into the intestinal system. If there's an imbalance of bad uh, bacteria of good to bad ratio, um, certain bacteria like certain foods, um, or certain bacteria will eat insoluble fibers and then create a gas as a byproduct. And so, such if as beans, such as beans, the musical fruit, cabbage. cabbage, the more you eat, the more you toot, the more you toot, toot, the better you feel. <laughs> we should eat beans for every meal. <laughs> I'm so glad every everybody mother knows that. has learned that one. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. So needless to say, <laughs> the balance of bacteria in the gut do make a difference there. Um, so that's one aspect. And okay. also you can have decreased peristalsis and the food can sit in your small intestines just like it did in the stomach. And then it sits there and there's bacteria. The exactly. It starts okay. to putrefy, break down and ferment, creating the off gas. And, and that's essentially the main key points here with regards to gas and bloating. And then there are people that are just in generally – more susceptible or people, some people will eat certain foods and milk. Have, milk. Some milk people is, are, yeah. Common. yeah My sister so, has that. Nobody gives that girl milk in our house. Nobody. <laughs> or they so, and the problem is there is that some people will lack an, an enzyme called lactase, which mm-hmm. breaks down lactose, which is a sugar in milk. And so they will lack that enzyme. Some people genetically, um, Asians have a high propensity for that that they have an intolerance to milk uh, due to a deficiency in the lactase enzyme uh, genetically. And then there's other people that have it where it is exogenously induced from the outside. Exogenously. So eating food that may cause inflammation in the gut, eating away at the lining of the gut, such as like celiac disease Mm -hmm. or something that creates Crohn's or ulcerative colitis where the gut lining, or more Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. So it's going to damage the lining in in the intestinal system which is where those enzymes are produced. And so now if you damage those cells, they can't produce that enzyme and they become intermittently lactose intolerant or dose dependent. So maybe they can handle a little bit of dairy, but not too much. And that can be an indication that they have an, you know, something going on with their gut or they're eating something daily that they don't really realize as causing damage and inflammation to their gut lining. And there are certain tests that people can do uh, to look for food allergies and things that they may be more susceptible to. Other people listen to their body. But again, symptoms only go so far. And when I mean listen to their body, they pay attention to when I eat this, I feel like X. Not like listen to their farts. Correct. Yes. They, they don't typically. <laughs> or their neighbors. Or their neighbors. <laughs> so, hey, they're having an argument, I can tell. You guys are a hoot, let me tell you. <laughs> and not a toot, but a hoot. Oh, there it is. Nice. Set up. Set up, totally. But on, so, But also there are people that have cancer right now that have no symptoms. So that's where symptoms only go so far. But and you can have different reactions where you may react to a food, which is what's called an IgG reaction, which can take three hours to three days for your body to respond. Where an IgE reaction is like you just ate peanuts and immediately you're swelling in an anaphylactic shock. Mm-hmm. 
So there's different varying degrees of food sensitivities that people can have. And there's research that goes back and forth with regards to IgG, but anyways. No, I, fiber, no fiber, because I've seen it where a recommendation was to increase their fiber and all of a sudden gas becomes a problem. Is that kind of like the beans not able to break down the fiber or anything along that line? Clinically speaking is that oftentimes that is an indication to me that people have an imbalance of bad bacteria to good bacteria ratio. Okay. And those people typically need to be on a probiotic. So while the fiber is good because the fiber feeds the bacteria, currently it's feeding the overgrowth of bad bacteria. So that's growing more gas yeah, and everything. Else. Creating more gas and more of a bad off smell. Mm -hmm. So we need to create that balance again. And they'll notice over time. And so what I would do in the, in the short term is decrease the dose of fiber that they're eating um, or if they're taking a fiber supplement. And it's the insoluble fiber that's not broken down properly. Um, that's leading to this, these issues. So they can take a probiotic and that would, in most cases, help benefit that problem. So could I say that it is not necessarily normal to bloat, but it can be normal to have some gas? Yes, but again, how do you define some? How do you, because some people... I know that most women that are listening, any is too much. And they're right now taking notes to find out how to correct their husband's diet just to make sure that it doesn't happen. Any miracle cure. <laughs> no miracle cures. Because uh, that's what we're known for on this show. Right. Miracle cures of gas. <laughs> I think that's a fact check. Do we have a fact check Miracle cures the gas. <laughs> Ultimately, I think it goes back to eating a healthy, balanced diet, getting your body as healthy as possible, and getting things in balance so things function normally. And not just putting a Band-Aid on a check engine light or a piece of duct tape and saying, oh, we got a symptom, let's just cover it up. Let's find the root cause here and, and get things back in balance so the body can function ultimately at its best. Yeah, so circling back around to the two-year-old question or statement or whatever, I mean, it is kind of funny, right, that you have – it is difficult to get children to do some of the things that we talk about that would help as an adult, chewing your food, being relaxed, like – all of those things. Um, and so I guess I'm wondering, again, more from the kids' perspective, as they are moving from like being a baby to then onto solid foods and introducing new things to their diets, um, a lot of the folks we've been talking to have noticed that in those transitional phases in life, their babies are more bloated or gassy um, or just struggling, right, with those transitions. And so I guess I'm wondering. Is there a way to smooth those transitions? Is that, I mean, is that just kind of, it's just normal every time, you know, now we give them peas and they didn't have peas before and their stomach is like, I've never had peas before. And so it just takes time to adapt to those things. Or do you maybe recommend, kind of like you were talking, I think about sort of a food journal or just listening to your body. Like, hey, I've given my kid, you know, yogurt and I seem to have this reaction. So perhaps they're going down the path of being lactose intolerant or whatever. I mean, what's, I guess, what's your take on those life transitions, especially in the infant and toddler phases as it pertains to gas and bloating? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great questions. With regards to the transitions, and it doesn't matter really if it's a child transitioning from um, liquid to solid foods or an adult changing their diet from junk food to healthy food, um, there becomes a time of transition and a time period in which the body has to acclimate. So again, when it comes to a child and they're going from, let's say, breastfed to formula, you'll notice a change in their feces, um, everything from color and smell uh, 
to the amount of possible gas that is produced. Because uh, again, the microflora does play a role there. They're, they're, they're microbiota in, in general, everything that's considered in that. Um, those all come into play. But just because they get it right at that transition of now that they've gone from a liquid diet, now they're going to solid foods or pureed foods. Uh, well, those pureed foods have a lot of insoluble fibers and soluble fibers. And so that is going to change what the microbiota has had a chance to be exposed to previously. So now it's going to create a little bit more uh, intestinal gas. And that's completely normal. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, again, it's, it's giving it time. Now, if you notice significant discomfort, then there may be something that the child is susceptible to or take it out for a little bit and let the body slowly acclimate. Um, in the same way, as I've mentioned in, in past episodes, talking about our food and our intake is that if we eat a bunch of junk food, we're going to create a population of bad bacteria that thrives off of nothing but that junk and diminish the amount of good bacteria. But now all of a sudden, I quit eating my junk food diet that I've had, and now I'm eating broccoli and spinach and carrots, and now all of a sudden I'm getting really bloated. Oh, my gosh, I need to quit eating healthy. I need to go back to eating <laughs> junk again. You know, And that's not the case. That's not what you want to do. You've got to give your body time to acclimate because, again, you've created this imbalance, and you need to allow this balance to be restored. Um, and that can be done through supplementation, but it can also be done naturally by giving it time, but maybe slowly reintroducing it instead of just – Oh, today I completely cut out junk food and now it's all raw foods and that's all I'm eating. But yet you're still in the fast paced world of eating junk food and not chewing your food properly. So you're not breaking it down properly. That maybe you slow down a little bit, create the environment, not only for yourself to relax and enjoy your meal, but also for you and your family. As you mentioned earlier about the two year old running around, I think part of that has to do with the environment that is created because the mother is typically trying to run around as she maybe has little bit kids that are older and um, mothers have their children in every sport possible sometimes, um, depending upon the environment that they're creating. And so then they're constantly on the go and constantly on the move. And so they're in the kitchen and only eating tidbits here and there as they're grabbing it off the plate and moving around and trying to serve everybody at the same time. So sometimes it's, you know, getting everybody engaged. Having the child maybe help starting to set the table to set to create that mood of, okay, here's an, here's an objective that I need you to accomplish. Okay, go set the table or get the forks out for everybody. And while the mother is able to start serving up the dishes, take them over there, and then they all sit down as a family, which in my opinion, honestly, is a diminished cultural thing that's happened in our society today. Well, so I guess along those lines, one of the other questions that we've gotten a lot, especially as we were talking about like gas and bloating, was babies spitting up. It's like, you know, they have a little bubble in their tummy or whatever. Sometimes it's more than a bubble and it comes out. And is there a point in time when you should kind of stop and say that's that's not good? Like we're having – it's an issue, something that needs to be further investigated. Or like babies just spit up. Like they just – it's just what they do. My, my mother told me that you feed them and then you toss them up and down to mix it. <laughs> that never works. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have paid dues for that. Uh-huh. I'm sure yeah, not, not really. Of course not. Uh, there are there are many things to consider with regards to spitting up and uh, children um, or more infants mm -hmm. uh, because they can get you know something that's called a pyloric stenosis um, if they've taken a certain antibiotic and can create um, hypertrophy again a thickening of the muscle at the end of the stomach and then it won't allow food to pass and so then it, you end up projectile vomiting and 
from, back from antibiotics, you know, like amoxicillin. Uh, it, mainly like that, urethromycin is the one given. And okay. They don't typically give it in infancy because of this. So it's kind of a known fact in medicine that we don't okay. give that to children. But amoxicillin, which is common, that is not a common. No, not, a, not in okay. the current. Just because okay. uh, urethromycin is an antibiotic that they'll typically use for people that have what's called gastroparesis, which is slowing of the stomach emptying. And so what this does is it increases uh, a chemical called motilin, which does that. It increases the motility of the mm -hmm. intestinal system. Okay. Um, so the antibiotic has that side effect. So it actually provides okay. a benefit as a treatment. Um, but then there's other things that go along with taking the antibiotic that obviously we've talked about in the past that can create issues. So there might be other ways that we can utilize or other medications to utilize, which is typically done. Okay. But nonetheless, when it comes to an infant spitting up, Everybody's like, oh, my child's spitting up. Oh, they have uh, acid reflux. They put them on a proton pump inhibitor. I'm not a big fan of that because, again, now you're taking an infant and you're inhibiting the stomach acid production. And that stomach acid production is what allows the breakdown of proteins. It allows the activation of certain enzymes in the intestinal system and the stomach itself. It allows for proper balance of good bacteria. It allows for functioning of the gallbladder because when your food moves from the stomach into the small intestine, it's acidic. And now that acidity is monitored by the cells right there in the first part of the small intestine. And that also helps the release of what's called cholecystokinin, which is a chemical that causes the gallbladder contract. So now you can absorb your fatty meals mm -hmm. or the fats into the body. And the developing nervous system of an infant needs to have plenty of fats, so good fats in the body. And so that all comes into play. The problem is... I got a question. Yes. Have they actually tested those medications on children and it's been approved for those uses? You know? To my knowledge, no. I'm telling you, that's actually a, a really big, because I've heard it in, in patients that the, the, the docs are putting them on that, and I've not just seen anything that they actually even researched the safety associated with it. Right. Well, and it's, you're spitting up, oh, so it must be acid reflux. And well, it's, that's, there's it's, just too many other options. Right. And it's, to me, it's anatomical in most cases because there's not much distance yeah. there. And so it's more of an anatomical thing because as a child, they say, oh, the child will grow out of it. And they do because literally they grow out of it because it creates more of a distance. Good point. And most children are lying down. They're not sitting upright. And their stomach muscles, and the, the, you have these things called our sphincters, which are circular muscles that will clamp down and keep things from regurgitating back up. But they're, they're, they haven't had solid foods. They haven't, they haven't been consuming food, so to speak, while they've been drinking amniotic fluid while they're in there. It's not enough to really create this muscular contraction, so to speak. And that's where, like your urethromycin, as I mentioned earlier, creates mm -hmm. motilin. That's my theory. No one knows why it causes hypertrophy of the pyloric sphincter. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's, well, that muscle's never had a chance to really truly work. And so now we're making mm -hmm. it work harder. And it's mm -hmm. just like when you do a bunch of bicep curls, your arm gets bigger. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's my theory that... Um, so time and foods? That's really the Yeah, it, it's times at. and foods and the amounts. So okay. if the child is young, you know, it's small, frequent meals mm -hmm. is going to be... is The best advice that I give to patients is doing it small and frequent. Um, as opposed to doing a few yeah. Yeah. bigger mm -hmm. meals because now their stomach is really full and it, the sphincters aren't strong enough yet. Mm -hmm. And good. so, you know, I, I can... Good common I can, sense. Yeah, good I can almost sense. guarantee that it's not an overproduction of stomach acid because, again, that takes a lot of energy, and most people don't have that type of energy. This is an anatomical issue in most cases. 
Now, there are things such as hiatal hernias, which is where um, the stomach pushes up above the diaphragm. That's a whole different situation. In general, if that one's going to show itself consistently, it's not going to improve. Yeah, and it's similar to projectile vomiting that you're going to get with pyloric stenosis or a bowel obstruction, um, where you're going to have bilious vomit, um, bilious meaning uh, biles in there because Mm -hmm. it's beyond where the gallbladder dumps into the small intestine, so it creates a backup of flow. Mm -hmm. Um, And projectile vomiting is different than spitting out. Makes sense. Makes sense. What else, Mama? No, those were a couple of other questions that came in, so that's... that's Floating and gas at its best. At its absolute best. Absolutely. Dr. Bentley, thank you. I'm off like a fart in the wind. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger. Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts. For the well-being of yours. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. 